Jesus, that we can be together. Father, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe on this word, and I pray that you would breathe on our hearts. I believe you've already begun to prepare them. I believe that you're already moving. You're already directing our footsteps. I thank you for that word that you said, many are the ways of a man's heart, but you direct his footsteps. Lord, thank you that when our heart is a whole lot of many ways, you still are good enough to direct our footsteps. So Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name for revelation and grace. Amen? Amen. 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 Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. <laughs> I don't know for what, but something good. It's always good in the kingdom, isn't it? Grace to grace, strength to strength. Hallelujah. Well, listen, we're talking about fast, and everybody say, woo! I know you can't wait to get there, right? That's the beauty about fasting. You're just going to hurry up and get to it, and then hurry up and get done with it. That's why they call it a fast, because you want to get out of it quickly, right? That's a thing. That's a thing. Let me tell you a story. I used to work at Les Schwab Tires. Did you guys know that? Look at this haircut. You know I worked at Les Schwab Tires. This is like a hippie haircut compared to how I used to have it. And I'd go running out there. I looked good. And then I came here, and I kept eating as much as I used to eat. And I, I don't look as I still look pretty good. I still look. You're welcome. But I don't look as good as I did then. I used to be able to eat like a double cheeseburger with bacon for lunch and then have like an afternoon lunch of just a regular cheeseburger and then for dinner have whatever I wanted. And now that just can't happen anymore. <laughs> oh, you guys are bad for a person in the sense of you, you just bless me so much and everybody feeds me but I don't bust tires anymore. This is a picture of a guy busting a tire, and he's working on a truck tire. Guys, when I went to Les Schwab, I don't know if you know, but I like people. I like to be with people. I like the sound of my voice, and I assume so does everyone else. That makes me a, a, a fun salesman. And I got a high EQ so I can read you, so I'm a pretty good salesman. And so at any rate, I went to Les Schwab, and it was a perfect job for me. I get to hustle all day. I'm with people. I get to make some jokes. I get to work hard because I like to work hard. How many of you like to work hard? Doesn't it just feel good to, like, get in there? How many of you worked hard yesterday at Project Hope? Raise your hands. Put them up there. Come on. Brag a little bit. Hallelujah. Thank you guys for coming and serving our cities. Give yourself a huge hand. And there was some hustle out there, too. There was some hustle out there. I was excited to see it. So I went into Les Schwab, and you have two different areas at Les Schwab, if you've ever been to Les Schwab. You have, like, the regular retail area where, like, grandma and you all come, and we do car and light truck tires. And then you have on the other side, you have the truck slab where, like, the log trucks and the trucks come in and the RVs and the buses, etc. And I started out on the front in the retail, which is where they normally start you. And, guys, I was, like, good at that job in, like, a week. Now, I did come home after the first day and told my wife, I was 25 years old at the time, and I, and I laid down on the floor, and I'm just like, oh, like every part of me hurt so bad. 25 years old, I'm like, baby, I don't think I can do this. This is like working for Mark Gwillem. <laughs> I was like, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. I'm not as awesome as Zach. Anyway, so... I, I, but I, but I, I got my stamina up. I got into my, you know, my fight weight, and I was doing okay. But, man, I could sell. I could do well. I picked everything up really quickly. And, in fact, I was very quickly working you know, faster than, the, than some of the veterans that were there. And they were pretty impressed with me. And they were saying, we're really impressed with you. And in, like, the first couple of weeks, I even got a raise because I did such a good job. So I was like, man, this is going to be great. I, I love this. This is awesome. Well, here's the thing. After a couple of weeks, then they're like, all right, today you're going out to the truck slab. And I'm thinking, 
what are you sending the talent out to the back for? And so, <laughs> I'm the talent, just in case you weren't following. And so I went out into the truck slab, and they're like, all right, here. And there's a guy there, Jamie Heights. He's with the Lord now, but Jamie Heights, and he was there on the truck slab. And he's like, here, break down this tire and fix the flat. I was like, okay. And uh, so he gave me a quick tutorial. Here's how you do a truck tire. You know, you hit it with a hammer. You pop your, and he shows me, right? He's just like, you know, boom, jump on the tire, grab your bar. You slick it up, turn it around, flip it, it falls off. Then you, you go, you fix it, you come, whole thing's done in like about 17 minutes. So I'm like, okay, easy enough. He's like, all right, so you do this one. So he leaves. Two hours later, he comes back, and I am still looking about like this. That's actually how I look now. I was thinner then. Anyway, so I'm over here, and guys, I'm not kidding. The harder I worked, the worse it was getting. And the worse it was getting, the harder I was working. And the harder I was working, the tired I was getting, and the tired I was getting, the weaker I was getting, and the harder it was getting. And I'm literally, I, I, am, I am an emotional person, you guys get that, but I have a strong will. I'm not a whiner, okay? So I'm like emotional in a positive way. I was ready to cry. 25-year-old man on the truck slab, it's the summertime, it's hot, and I'm just like, Jesus, this is happening. And, and I'm just, uh, 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 you know, and you're just running out of chutzpah. And uh, so finally, Jamie comes back two hours later, and he's standing there. He's got this deep voice. What are you doing? And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I said, I am trying to fix this tire. And he's like, why are you doing it that way? And I'm like, and I'm so angry. Like, guys, I'm like emotional. I'm ready to cry over a tire. I don't know why they have me back here in Goshen working on tires anyways. The talent should be up front. I cannot get it. I'm working so hard. And he walks over, and he goes, man, you are doing Oh, no, actually, I did say this, just in my defense. I said, Jamie, if you're going to help me, then help me and show me how to do this. Otherwise, just leave because I don't have enough energy to talk to you and be made fun of while I'm trying to do this thing. And he's like, well, you ain't doing it right. And I'm like, clearly, I ain't doing it right. You know, come on, there's a say law for you right there. First thing, first things first, follower of Christ, just admit when you ain't doing it right. Just admit it. Just admit it's not working. So he comes over and he said, here's the deal. There's a right way to do this, and there's only one right way to do this. And he comes over and he says, you are doing all of the work. You need gravity and leverage on your side. He said, do this. Boom, boom, flips it over. Gravity just forces the wheel right out of the tire. And you, you, just, you just get it, and it just goes boom. I wanted to punch him in the neck or hug him or maybe both at that moment because I was exhausted. But the truth is... When you do it the right way, gravity and leverage do most of the work. Amen? So there's a right way to do things. And many of us have found in our Christian walk, we're doing the right thing for the right reasons, but it's not working. And there's a right way to do it. And until you do it the right way, working harder isn't going to make it happen. Having better motives isn't going to make it happen. Having greater faith isn't going to make it happen. You're going to have to do it the right way. You're going to have to do it the way that works. Amen? So let me share another story with you about having to do things the right way. This is out of Judges. I'm actually just going to read it to you, and then I'm going to show you a particular scripture, and we're going to talk about it. 
Uh, this is a time, this is a horrible story, by the way. It's in uh, Judges chapter 20. And it's a terrible story of this wicked, wicked town. The Benjamites had this horrible city and a righteous man comes into the city. And while he's there, uh, the, the, the men of the city had given themselves over to some major perversion. And they saw this guy and they wanted to have their way with the dude. And, and, the, and the, there was a righteous man there and said, hey, listen, don't stay, stay the night in this house because this is a city filled with wicked men. And let me tell you something, you do not want to be the fresh meat up in this place. So get into my house. So he gets in the house, but they had already seen him. And so they showed up and they said, you send that guy out here because we're going to have our way with him. And the righteous man says, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, what they did end up doing was giving these wicked, perverse people his concubine. And they, they ended up, they, they, they took such advantage of her that she literally died. And she died on the threshold. And when he got up in the morning, there she is, dead on the threshold. And this man who was an Israelite looked at this wicked act. And he just lived through this, barely escaped. Obviously, he sacrificed his concubine in order even to live. But he, he looks at the wickedness of this, and he, he contacts everyone else in Israel. It's a pretty gruesome situation. He actually cut up her dead body and sent a piece to everyone in Israel and said, this is what's going on. He, 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 in other words, he reported the, the, the reality of the wickedness that was happening in the city. It's a, this is grisly, isn't it? It's a grisly story. But the Israelites came together and they spoke to this man and this man said, this is what's going on in Benjamin. This is one of our tribes. This, these are people of our holy people who are called to serve God. This is what the Benjamites are doing. And let's just start right there. So then the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what is this wickedness that has occurred among you? What are you doing? And now, therefore, deliver up these wicked men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that was the name of the city, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin wouldn't listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from the cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword. And besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who numbered 700 select men, and among all of these men were 700 select men who were left-handed, and everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. That's New King James Version, for these guys were sharpshooters. They had snipers. Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword, and all of them were men of war. So if you're catching the numbers here, it's 26,700 to 400,000. Okay, so Israel, the righteous people that are coming to set this thing right, numbers are on their side. And then the children of Israel rose and they went up to the house of God to inquire of God. So they prayed. Good job, Israel. They prayed. And then they said, which of us will go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah goes first. And so the children of Israel rose in the morning and they encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. And then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah. And on that day, they cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. The wicked Benjamites who cannot even recognize that they should cast out these perverted rapist killers out of their city, come out, resist the people of God who have a numerical advantage, and destroy 22,000 people that day. 
And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves. And again, they formed the battle line at the place where they'd put themselves in array on the first day. And then the children of Israel went up and they wept before the Lord until evening. And they asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall we draw near for the battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. Are you catching this? God saying, You're doing the right thing. He's, they're praying and they're inquiring of the Lord and they're going. And what happened? They got 20... 6,000 or 22,000 people just got killed. Now they go again on the second day. And the Benjamites came out and they cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. And all of these drew the sword. Did you catch this? This is strike two against the people of God who are praying, who are standing for righteousness, who are in the right place at the right time. In fact, they even have merciful hearts because the truth is they don't want to destroy Benjamin because Benjamin is their brother. So they're hoping that God will say, hey, you, you resisted evil and that was enough. You stood for the right things and that was enough. And God's going, no, I want you to go back and I want you to fight again. So they do. And the second time when they do, 18,000 people are killed. And then all the children of Israel, that is all of the people, went up and they came to the house of God and they wept. And they sat there before the Lord and they fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And so the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. What changed? They fasted. They fasted before the Lord. There is something that happens when we humble ourselves before the Lord and begin to fast and pray that changes the dynamics in the spiritual realm where suddenly just the physicalities, we move beyond what's, what's simply physical. We move beyond what we can simply see. We move beyond even numerical advantage is not enough to defeat the encampment of the enemy. You see, beloved, in this particular city, there was a spiritual reality that was going on. Because I tell you the truth, men were created good. And the enemy comes and brings evil, and men can be tempted to do evil, can they not? We've seen that in our own lives. We see that in these places. And there was a demonic stronghold going on in the city of Gibeah. To the point that not only were there wicked, perverted people that would perpetrate such acts as brutal rape and murder... But the people themselves in that city were so blinded to the perverseness of their own ways that they actually defended them. That's a spiritual reality. And the only way to break some of these spiritual realities, there's only one way to do it. And the Bible shows us to do that. We see it in the history of God with men. We see it in the scriptures again and again and again. We see Moses doing it. We see Daniel doing it. We see Jesus doing it. We see Peter doing it. We see Paul doing it. We see the new believers doing it. We see the faithful saints of recent history doing it. And we see ourselves doing it. Because there are battles that we will not win unless we fast and pray. When we see in the Old Testament, again and again, I need to point this out to you. I spoke about it last week. But when we see in the Old Testament where it speaks of humbling yourself and praying, that humbling yourself implies fasting. They humbled themselves and they fasted and they prayed. And then God gave them the victory. 
I'm not going to read the rest of the story, but it was an incredible route to the point that at the end, they had to figure out a way to show mercy to the tribe of Benjamin, that Benjamin as a people would not be destroyed from the face of the earth. So complete was the victory. And, and I would say this, so complete was the victory that even include a measure of mercy that Benjamin would also be restored after having been punished for the evil things they've done. Wow, God. But what did it take? It took more than a desire to do the right thing. It took more than numerical advantage. It took more than prayer. It took fasting. Amen? Here's another example. This is Jesus, and he's with the disciples, and you guys know how good it was going with the disciples. Jesus, he gave them power to cast out demons to heal the sick. And they go out, and they are rocking them and shocking them, and it is going awesome, and people are glorifying God. But then suddenly this happens, starting in Matthew chapter 17. And when they came to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? I think it's interesting, just a quick note here, I think it's interesting that Jesus says, you perverse, faithless generation. We just saw a moment ago that Benjamin was in that same place of being a perverse and faithless generation. Fasting delivered that city from that perverse spirit. Jesus is speaking to the same generation and says, you're a perverse, faithless generation. I'm here to set you free from that. I just want to put that in there. Is that an interesting tie and an interesting continuity in the scripture? And he goes on, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Praise God. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. And they said, why couldn't we cast it out? You know why they were asking. It wasn't like, we've never casted any demons out and we're curious if it ever works. No, no, no. They had been casting demons out left and right, guys. They had been healing the sick left and right. They were surprised that this one didn't come out. They were surprised. Why isn't this happening, Jesus? Because you've already anointed us, and we've been doing the stuff. How come it didn't work in this situation? In other words, we're in the right place at the right time with the right heart and the right reasons for the, with the right people doing the right thing, and it didn't go right. Why is that? And Jesus says to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. you got to catch this. They were already casting out demons. They were already healing the sick. He's saying, you already have enough faith. But there's an unbelief you're dealing with here, as well as this only comes out with prayer and fasting. Now, I mentioned this last week, and I think it's worth mentioning this week. This is an interesting piece of scripture, and I'm not going to pretend to fully understand it. I think there's a measure of mystery, and I think there's a measure of, 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 of I guess I would almost say like multiplicity of revelation available right here. But I would like to say this, and I can say this with confidence. Whether you have a spirit of unbelief that Jesus is saying that needs to be rebuked out of you, or whether this particular demon that was afflicting this child only comes out with prayer and fasting, both of these things are addressed when Jesus says, however, this kind doesn't go out except with prayer and fasting. Is he talking about the unbelief that's in the disciples themselves? Or is he talking about the epileptic spirit that was in this boy? I don't know. 
But I would say this, prayer and fasting deals with both of them. You see, there are places we're called to take the land. We're called to take the land, beloved. We're called to take the land of this heart, whether it's unbelief in us. We're called to take the land to see the oppressed go free. The yoke of bondage broken off of people. How many of you know that the yoke of bondage that most of us deal with is a mental yoke of bondage where we simply cannot see the kingdom of heaven? In fact, Jesus said you have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Bondage comes in and keeps us yoked in such a natural world that we don't even see the most important things, which is Christ and his kingdom. And when we're yoked into that, when others are yoked into that, we're called to see them rescued, to see them break free, and to see our own selves break free. Are you, are you seeing that? And part of that process, oftentimes, involves prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is an integral part of who we are as believers, is that we pray and fast. How do we know? Because Jesus prayed and fast. How do we know? Because the apostles prayed it and prayed it prayed it did. They prayed it, and when they were done prayed it in, they fasted as it did. They prayed and they fasted, and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do the same thing. Why? Because God has given fasting as an extraordinary weapon of our warfare. In fact, let me read this to you here. And when we want to see people who are broken out of those bondages and out of those yokes, which I'm going to get to here in a moment in the scriptures, one of the weapons of our warfare, in fact, the nuclear option, is oftentimes fasting. Here we have in Corinthians, no, Ephesians, we have Corinthians, it's in the Bible, but this is Ephesians. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How? By putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How do I stand against the wiles of the devil? With these right here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, you're not going to debate people into the kingdom of heaven. There's a place for debate. There's a place for apologetics. There's a place for preaching the gospel. And we must do it. But doing that alone is not enough. We must also overthrow the strongholds and the principalities and the powers of this age. How did Jesus do it? He was led by the Spirit of God into the, for, into the, into the, into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. He was a man of prayer. He defeated the devil in fasting. When did the enemy come? When was Jesus ready for the enemy? Right at the end of the fasting. And what did he do? He overcame the wicked one. In fact, Jesus said, Satan is coming, but he has nothing in me. How did Jesus know? Because he had already fasted and prayed and overcome the wicked one. We are called to do the same thing. I'm not saying necessarily a 40-day fast like Christ did. But I believe that each of us probably at some point may do a 40-day fast. We'll get a little more into that. So he's saying this, though. Our weapons of warfare are mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. That's the point I want to make out of this scripture. And one of those weapons is fasting. Amen? Now here's another one. Where it says in 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So again, we're seeing something where it's like, like there's, you guys, our flesh is not wicked. You've been born again. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. So we're not talking about the sin nature here. 
We're talking about the flesh, like where we're encouraged to say, who of you hates your own flesh, but you nurture it and care for it? And in fact, we're, we're, we're told to care for our wives the same way that we care for our own flesh. So we're clearly not talking about a sin nature here. But even with that, there's a limitation to how much we can actually do as a human person. And there comes a point where we can't just do in the flesh the things that must be done in the spirit. And fasting is one of those ways where we take that weapon of warfare, we actually say, my flesh isn't enough. My intellect isn't enough. My strength isn't enough. My stick and elbow grease that I was using on that tire to get that tire off, it didn't matter how much and how hard I worked, it's never coming off until I do it the right way. Until leverage and gravity makes it possible to take that off. Are you with me? It didn't matter that the Israelites had 400,000 people on their side. That principality that was ruling in Benjamin had not yet been overcome. And until they overcame that demonic stronghold, there was no breakthrough. Are you with me? So there are times where we're called to understand that though we serve the Lord with this body, we do. The natural service is not enough in certain situations. This kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. It requires a tremendous amount. It requires a tremendous amount of humility. It requires a tremendous amount of showing your weakness to fast. Isn't that an amazing thought? You see, when we fast, we actually deny the strength that we would give ourselves because we're saying, God, my strength is not enough. Unless you move, this will never happen. And no matter how strong I am, my strength will never be enough. We need your strength. And so I'm going to deny my flesh its food because I hunger and desire the bread of heaven to come and do what only the bread of heaven can do. You know who I'm talking about, Jesus. He said, I am the bread of heaven. That we reach a point in our walk where we suddenly realize that food's not enough. Remember when Jesus was with the woman at the well? We referenced her earlier today during communion. And he came to her and the disciples, where were they? They had gone to get food. And while they were getting food, Jesus preached the gospel to the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman goes and brings the whole town. And when they come, they said, hey, Jesus, you want something to eat? And he goes, no, I'm not hungry. And they go, what are you talking about? You sent us to get food. He goes, yeah, but I have food you don't know of. My food is to do the will of my Father. You see, there are times in our life that we're called to do the same thing that Christ did. Let me qualify that. What scripture says that we're supposed to do that? It says, as he is, so are we. As he is, so are we. We're called to do the works of Christ while we're here. That involves fasting. In that moment, Jesus fasted lunch and saw breakthrough for a whole city. And it was so satisfying that he told them, I have food that you know not of. How many of you have gone through seasons where just physically, naturally, you actually start to almost loathe the food that you're eating. I'm, I'm serious. Like, you ever go through this? I'm just like, nothing tastes good. Like, I, I used to love this restaurant. I don't like it anymore. I used to love my wife's cooking. And I don't know. I feel like you're not putting what you normally put in it, Karen. It's just not quite what it should be. And you know what? Sometimes that's an indicator that you're a jerk. 
But sometimes it's an indicator that the Lord is actually saying you're not satisfied with what the world has to offer right now. You're looking for spiritual food. The Holy Spirit's actually prompting you and saying your lack of gratitude for these things that you usually enjoy, don't rebuke yourself for it. Take a moment and go, oh Lord, am I looking for food that this world knows not of? Am I looking for the, the bread of life? Am I looking for the food of heaven to satisfy me in a way that only God can satisfy to do the will of my Father? And you're going to find, brothers and sisters, that God speaks to you in that way. When that's happening, begin to ask the Lord, like, oh, Lord, are you calling me to a season of fasting? Are you calling me to a season of fasting? Or is there something going on that you're asking me to partner with you? Amen? You guys enjoying this? Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let, me, let me get into this because we've got a few minutes left, and I, and I want to get down to, oh, ushers, can you hand out our, uh, our little handout? So they're going to pass that out. We're going to multitask. So now I want to go with you to Isaiah 58, 6, and 8. And I want to talk a little bit about what is the fast that he's called us to? What does it do? How does it work? What has he called us to do? We have weapons of warfare that are mighty. We see that Jesus said not if you fast, but when you fast. We see that the disciples fasted when they picked out leaders. We see that they fasted when they were making decisions where to plant churches. They fasted when they were seeking revelation from the Lord. There's a constant and ongoing um, life routine, rhythm, practice of believers to fast as a part of our following of Christ. Okay, so we've seen that. So if we know that we're going to be doing it, then we begin to say, well, what kind of fast does God want us to do? And, 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 and Isaiah 58 is a beautiful place. In fact, I put it on your, uh, on your sheet here as well as 2 Chronicles 7, 14. So I want to look at both of these scriptures. Jesus, when he's speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he says to them, he's rebuking Israel, and they had been fasting when they'd been saying, Lord, we're fasting, but you're not hearing our prayers. And he says to them, this fast that you're doing is bogus. And he gives them a list of what they're doing wrong in their fast. He's like, really? Do you really think I want a day where you don't eat and you afflict your soul and that's going to make me happy? That's not the fast I'm looking for. And I'm not going to spend much time on what it isn't. But basically he's saying this, like a fast is not about beating yourself up. A fast is not about, like, I'm fasting so I can spend a whole lot of time focusing on what a dirtbag I am. No, that's not what it is at all. You're fasting because you're looking away from the things that are natural, and you're looking up to the things that are supernatural. You're magnifying God above all other things. You're saying, Lord, you are my bread. You are my life. You are my source. And why are you doing that? Well, Isaiah 58 says that. Here's what, here's what he says. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? Meaning, this is the fast that I've chosen. I want you to loose the bonds of wickedness. That city in Gibeah was bound by a perverse, demonic, sexual spirit of oppression and murder. And they fasted and God loosed that city from that. We see ourselves, guys, how many of us have bonds of wickedness? It's like you got, you're doing great. You got like 16 days and then funky search on the internet. Where did that come from? How come that got to own you today? That's a bond of wickedness. That's where the enemy gets to come in and go, hey, I still got a little hook in you. Come here. You're doing great. You've forgiven your mother. You're getting along great. And then all of a sudden, a phone call comes on, and you're like, I just need to vent and unload. 
and you just burn down the last four months of peace that you've had with your mother or mother-in-law. Where's that coming from? God wants to loose you from the enemy who's the accuser of the brethren. Are you with me? You've been, a, you've been addicted. You've been afflicted. You can't sleep at night. You're having night terrors. God wants to loose the people from any area where they are in a bond, a bondage of any kind. Amen? The next one, to undo the heavy burdens. Come on, legalists in the room, right? I just need to get some more rules. I just need to practice well. I just need to eat perfectly, sleep perfectly, exercise perfectly, read my Bible perfectly, pray perfectly, fast perfectly. Even fasting is bondage for you. Okay, here's, here's right? Some of you are like, oh, I fast all the time. I hate it, but I'm really good at it. And he's going, hey, I don't want you to afflict your soul. I want you to be loosed from the bonds of oppression. Even the good stuff God gives us when we don't have revelation and in the presence of his Holy Spirit, they become a bondage. Can anybody say Pharisee? They were in bondage. They missed Jesus. Beloved, we can miss Jesus too. So when we're fasting, part of that fasting is to say, God, deliver me from these heavy burdens that I cannot carry. The next one, let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Now, these things that we're doing in the spirit, he expects that they're going to happen in the, in the physical. He was telling Israel at this time, like, you guys are taking a day to fast, but you all own slaves. You're taking a day to fast and, and rest, but you make all of your servants work on the Sabbath. You're taking a day to fast and rest, but you don't pay anybody enough. You think that you not eating for a day is going to make me bless your nation when you're all a bunch of wicked hypocrites? He's saying, no, take your whole life and bring it before me and let me loose you from bondage and then you loose others from bondage. Amen? So he's saying, open yourself up, look at me and let me change what you see. I like that. I like that. Lay everything else aside and come. You know what happens when we fast, right? I love that. That scripture starts to change, right? When you're starting to starve, you're just like, ah, oh. and then you start reading that word, taste and see that the Lord is good. He gets delicious when there ain't nothing else on the plate. I will tell you that. The bread of life. I'm making jokes, but the truth is there's a heightened sense of your spirit becoming magnified in Christ and Christ in your spirit that happens only when you fast. I'm not saying this is easy, guys. The truth is that most of us spend most of our time thinking about what we're going to eat next. You guys are thinking about that right now. You're like, I better eat now. So we're starting fasting Monday. You're like, I got two meals before the death sentence comes. I'm just already thinking about it. What am I going to have? I'll tell you what, I got to eat three days worth of food in one afternoon. I do not encourage you to do that, by the way. All right, now, so we're fasting. We're looking for freedom and breakthrough. Amen? Isaiah 58 continues, and I love this, right? He says this. Uh, he says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry you bring to your house, the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? There's an awakening to your neighbor that happens as you fast. And then he says, now as you do this, as you begin to align yourself with the purposes of God, as you begin to purpose in your heart that, Lord, I will wait and humble myself and fast and say, unless you move, Lord, then there is no hope. Unless you build the house, we build in vain. Unless you save me, I can't save myself. Unless you save this person that I've been praying for for so long, God. I've been praying for him for so long that I get mad at you every time I pray for them now, Lord. Because you ain't done nothing. Add fasting. Amen? 
Now he's beginning to move. You're saying, Lord, my prayers aren't enough to help this person. Unless you answer them, nothing's going to happen. Amen? So we're continuing. Now we're fasting. Look at this next part. Boom! Then. I love the word then. The word then is very important in fasting. I will do this, Father, because your word says, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. How many of you, you beautiful saints who may be stuck in some sometimes sins, but they're the same sometimes sin, and you're like, man, I would love, I would love instead of having that sometimes sin that I'm always repenting for, just, oh, it'd be so sweet to have my righteousness go before me in that place instead. Amen? Come on. Just his, it, it's then. Who's doing that? It says, and your righteousness shall go before you. Do you have the ability to make your righteousness go before you? Do you have that ability in that area? Well, I can guarantee you don't, because if you did, you wouldn't have this sometimes sin in this area, would you? You've already been working real hard. I read my Bible every morning. I'm doing my journaling. I'm doing all those rhythms. Good. Keep doing that. That's fantastic. But I hate it, and it's really hard, and it's dead, and it's turning into religion, and it was really fun for like the first few weeks, and now I hate it. Well, you're on a good track to take a moment and fast and let the Lord come and fill it with his presence. The, the times, the rhythms of disciples, guys, they're a wineskin, but they are worthless unless God puts wine in that wineskin. Then it's just a nasty, dried-out piece of leather that you flog yourself with. Let him fill it back up in one of the ways. <laughs> I know, right? That was funny. Good job, Josh. Doing a good job, buddy. Okay. You want to let him fill that back up? And fasting is one of the ways that we do that. It opens our spiritual eyes. It renews us and refreshes us because suddenly then we taste and see that he is good. And we do get to eat again, by the way, guys. We get to eat most of the time. Amen? All right. And then the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Come on. The whole world, man. You, don't you just love this world? We live in a, lit a, lit a litigious society. CYA. You guys know what that stands for. I'll go with CYB since we're in church. Cover your butt. Whatever you do, just cover your butt. They're always doing that, right? You got to do something at work. It's like, whoa, 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 before you do anything, just check with the lawyer. <laughs> don't get sued. We live in a society that understands that you need to cover your hiney. Well, God knows that. And when you fast, it says the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guide. Come on. That was a good word. How did you not like that? That was awesome. All right, fine. Thank you, Mom. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Here's the last one. I love this. Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name... Humble themselves. Again, humble themselves implies that you're fasting. It's not hard to turn to the Lord and be like, Lord, I made a lot of big mistakes. Would you please fix it now? That doesn't require any humble. That requires a little bit of humbling, but mostly just survival. It's like everything is broken, so I, you want to do something at this point? That doesn't require a lot of humility. That's more survival mode. It requires humility to go, Lord, unless you move in this situation... There is no hope. So I'm going to just stop eating until you move. Or at least until you tell me you're going to move. Don't keep not eating if he says I'm going to move and tells you to eat now, okay? All right, that's important. 
for any of you religious folk like myself, you're like, I'm just going to, anyway. Check it out here. Check it out. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There it is again. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. How many of you have land in your life that you need God to heal? This is an invitation to say, Father, I'm asking you to heal this land. I'm asking you to move on behalf of this beloved person. I told you about the family that talked and prayed and helped and desired and tried and finangled and threatened and all of that for the drug-addicted father. They began to fast and pray, and one day he stopped smoking pot. And his comment was, yeah, I just decided I needed to stop. That stuff really messes with your mind. After like 40 years, 30-something. But they were already praying. They were already loving. They were already caring. They were already sharing. They were doing everything that Israel did. They already had, they already had superior numbers. But when they began to fast, God moved. Beloved, that's what we're going to do. And God is going to heal land in our life. We're embracing this as a lifestyle, as a people of God. We're going to take a baby step. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of us in here that have never fasted before. So we're not going to go straight to 40 days with no food. We may never do that. I don't get scared. We're not doing that. But what we are going to do is we're going to dip our toe in the water with a, with a combination of an Esther and a Daniel fast, a little cocktail of fasty goodness. All right? Esther called a fast, saved a nation with the three-day fast. That sounds pretty effective. The guy that was going to hang on, kill all the Jews, he'd, he was going to hang her uncle. She just decided not to eat and drink for three days. Don't get scared. That's not what we're going to do. But that's what they did. It was a pretty dire situation. They all fasted. Haman got hung on his own gallows. And then God avenged the Jews, and they went in and plundered the entire nation. God went from them being annihilated to them being elevated through a three-day fast. What? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's right. Daniel's had revelation and saw his nation restored through prayer and fasting. We're going to use a Daniel fast, and we're going to do it for three days. What is a Daniel fast? Well, here's what he did. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Now, Jesus upgraded from the anointing ourself, as you guys know from last week. I still want you to wash your hair and bathe. Jesus said that in this new covenant, he doesn't want other people to know when you're fasting outside of your family that you're fasting with. So he doesn't want the rest of the world to be seeing your pious self walking around with dirty hair and no deodorant because you're humbling yourself before the Lord. What are you doing? I'm humbling myself before the Lord. He's like, you have your reward. They think you're weird. All right, we're not doing that. Anoint your head. Jesus said to anoint your head. However, in the new covenant, the Daniel fast that we're going to do together is this. No pleasant food. Yikes. No pleasant food. No sugar. In other words, these are a fair of my favorite things. Take them off your plate. You'll have to eat them in three days. So you're removing those pleasant things. And by, by no sugar, meaning no sweets. Don't substitute your regular Coke for a Diet Coke and try to pretend like you're doing something special there. 
you're actually disallowing yourself the pleasure through eating and drinking for a certain amount of time because you're saying, Lord, I'm seeking first your kingdom. Guys, this isn't a religious legalistic exercise. This is an invitation to deny yourself pleasure for a season because you seek the pleasure of the king that his will would be done on earth. And that is a prayer unto God. There's a great quote from uh, Franklin Jennison, and he, I really like this. I'm going to read it to you. How does it work? When you begin a fast, remember, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. You know, some of us are going to fast heroin for three days. Well, you weren't doing heroin in the first place. You know, I always like to make that stuff up. Like, I'm going to fast uh, whiskey and um, bull riding. All right. It won't mean anything to God. Without being combined with prayer and the word, fasting is little more than dieting. But I want you to know something very important. Fasting itself is a continual prayer to God. Fasting, the time that you consecrate yourself unto seeing his kingdom come in specific areas, is part of the prayer. So when you're just kind of a little dazed and confused, a little punchy. God has gone, look at my daughter, look at my son, denying themselves the pleasures that could be theirs because they seek a greater kingdom. I'm going to answer that prayer. It's not about suffering. It's about choice. You're choosing the kingdom first. You see that? So it's not about suffering. It's about prioritizing the kingdom above what you would eat right now. It's part of the prayer. So I've given you this handout, and what I want to do is I want you to write down on this handout. Will you please hold on to this? Put this in your Bible. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your pocket. Carry this around with you for the next three days. There's a spot on here, number one, freedom from bondage and addictions for yourselves and others. If you're bound in any way, your diet, drinking, looking at things you shouldn't, lusting in your heart, fantasizing, greed, gossip, Whatever it is, whatever the bondage is where you look at it and go, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's a bondage. And if it's, and I want to say this too, many of us are growing, you're going from strength to strength and glory to glory, but maybe it's that thing that used to own you five times a day, but now it owns you every three months. It's still got some hooks in you, and the Lord doesn't want you to have to face that same thing every three months or every three weeks. Are you with me? Rejoice in the breakthrough you've had thus far, but... Double down on it. Lord, I want this thing to never own me. Amen? So write that down for yourself and others. You may know others that you've been praying for. Write their name down. Lord, I am fasting and praying now in this regard. The next one is salvation. I want you to write names down, beloved. Write down the names of those that you're saying, God, they need you to open up the eyes of their understanding that they would even want the kingdom of heaven. They need you to grant faith and revelation of your goodness because they've heard the gospel 20 times but they've never really heard the gospel. Amen? So write down names. Greater sensitivity to God's presence and leadership. That is for us, guys. That is for us. That's for us an individual, and that is, us, that is for us corporately. We need to be aware of the Spirit of God. I don't want to come in here and have meetings that we could get through the meeting and be like, I don't know if God showed up, but man, we did pretty good, didn't we? And you know what? We are fully capable of ending up like that. We are fully capable of becoming dependent on something other than the presence of God as we gather. 
as we continue to serve in our cities. Guys, we could do good works with no power. We could just become a really cool community club. And everybody will, good job, guys. You, you help schools. Boy, we, we like schools, too. You help the orphans. Well, people should. You're real generous. Well, good for you. You probably have a lot to give. You know what I'm saying? And we want to see the kingdom come. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, to his presence and leadership in our lives. And then what you want to person, personally, specifically pray for, write that down. Here's what we're going to do. For those of you that feel called, do a fast and drink only water. For those of you that this is your first go around, I just bring it before the Lord. But we're cutting out sugar, we're cutting out meat, we're cutting out alcohol, we're cutting out diet drinks that take the place of sugar. So your sweets, get rid of your sweets for three days. So that leaves you a few things. <laughs> drink a lot of water, guys. Drink a lot of water while you're fasting. It is your friend. It silences your little stomach. And the beauty is, is that not only is it spiritual breakthrough, but there is a physical aspect of fasting that is amazing. Your body is going to start flushing itself of toxins. Day two, you're probably going to get a headache because your body's burning toxins. And unfortunately, your brain feels it first. So don't worry. It's not the devil. You're, you, I mean, you know, you're not getting attacked. You're not going to die. It's not an aneurysm. It's the toxins in your body that your body is actually starting to deal with and burn through. And God's actually physically bringing healing and you are flushing your body, but drink a lot of water. And on Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to meet here for all of you that can and will, and we're going to finish. It's going to be a one-hour meeting. We're going to finish with prayer and testimonies. And then at 7.30, for anybody who wants to, we're going to go out on a date and break our fast together. All right? Father, I want to ask, Lord, that you would help us. I want to ask, Lord, that you would speak to each of us Lord, that you would show us how you would like us to fast. For those of us that are called to a water fast, Lord, give us that unction and the grace to do that. For those of us that are going to engage with a, with, a, with a Daniel fast, help us, Lord, to hear from you on what you want us to eat then for the next three days. Lord, let us enjoy these next two meals as we prepare our hearts and our bodies. Bless these saints, Jesus, and let your kingdom come. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for sticking with me. I realize it ran a little long today, but I wanted to cover it all. God bless you. Prayer sermon team, would you come forward for those who need prayer? Have a good day, guys.